Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intracasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Today, we're talking about a short film called D&D and G, and an old article for about Dungeons & Dragons from a long time ago, and the pushback of the release date of Rise of Tiamat. Let's meet our panel. Panelists, please introduce yourselves. Tell us how long you've been playing D&D, and give us any other credentials you care to mention. Let's start with you, Sam Dillon. Okay, well, my name is Sam Dillon, and uh, anyone who's listening to this who has also listened to The Tome Show probably knows me as The Tome Show's illustrious editor. Mm -hmm. um, I also run a blog called RPGmusings.com, and I'm an all-around uh, RPG game lover. I have been playing for about 30-something years. 30-something years. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you on the show, Sam. Thank so, you. It's great to be here. Oh, of course, of course. It's also great to have Tracy Hurley on the show. Tracy, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Tracy Hurley, also known by some as Sarah Dark Magic. I've been playing since 2009, but my brother played when I was a kid, and we played uh, Treasure of Tarman on the in television. Uh, <laughs> oh, deep cut. That's a deep cut right there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so I have my blog, Sarah Dark Magic, uh, co-host of this home show. I've done some writing for Wizards of the Coast and Paizo, uh, among other companies. So, And now you're here with us, and we're very excited to have you. Let's meet... Liz Tice, who I'm also excited to have on the show. Liz, introduce yourself to the people out there. Hello, people. Um, I am Liz Tice. <laughs> I've been, goodness, I've been gaming since I was about six or seven, which uh, is, I just realized, uh, about 20 years now. So now you all know how old I am. Um, <laughs> and my first GM was my dad. So it's it's been in the family. And I now am happy to say I work in the industry. I work uh, for Lone Wolf Development. So I get to work in my hobby, which is actually really fun. I was just talking today about how I, I, it makes it so much easier to, to work long hours and, and um, crazy, on crazy things for something that you love. Sure, sure. When you're living the dream, it's easy to, yep. uh, to give yourself over to it. Exactly. <laughs> All right, panel. So as you probably know, here on the roundtable, we always have a get to know you question for our panelists. And this week's get to know you question is, what is your favorite type of damage in Dungeons and Dragons from any edition? This could be piercing damage or acid damage or the well-known necrotic damage uh, or any other damage of that ilk. Uh, and let's start with you, Sam Dillon. What's your favorite type of damage? Um, well, I love to play clerics. I, I don't play very often. I, I'm usually running games, but uh, when I do play, I play a cleric. There's a meme for you. Um, and uh, so therefore, my favorite type of damage, I have two. My number one is radiant, of course, because how do you call down divine retribution? You, you pull all that radiant damage and you take out that creature. Uh, and so then the second one would have to be bludgeoning because, you know, clerics traditionally use maces and they can't use sharp weapons. Well, at least back when I started playing, they couldn't use sharp weapons. Yeah. So yeah. 
Blood, bludgeoning radiance. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent damage types right there. Worthy of the gods, some might say. That's right. Uh, Tracy Hurley, what's your favorite type of damage in D&D? Normally, I would say that I don't really like a lot of them because mm-hmm. I like feel sometimes like they're the gotchas. And I started with 40, which I know had some damage types, but had done, done away with bludgeoning. But I will say fire because I wrote the flame dancer bard archetype for uh, the recent advanced class guide. Nice. That's awesome. The uh, uh, I do love fire damage, and I think it's one of the most prevalent types that there is out there. So uh, if you can get resistance to that, you're golden, you know? Yeah, so check out the Flame Dancer for Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So go ahead, check that out, and support Tracy. <laughs> uh, Liz, what is your favorite type of damage? So my favorite type of damage is also fire. And the reason I gravitated towards that the moment I I heard that question was that it's just so classic because you have the fire breath weapon for dragons and fireball as a spell. It's just, it's to me, both of those things are just so classic to Dungeons and Dragons and and fantasy role playing that it's got to be my favorite type of damage. Wow, well, you should check out the work that Tracy Hurley has done for Pathfinder. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Guys, those are some great damage types. I'm a big necrotic fan, but that's just because I love undead. Um, so, you know, that's that's just me. Everybody's got their favorite damage type, right? Uh, moving on, let's talk about our first topic, which is a short film that was put out on Vimeo uh, earlier this month. It's called D and D and G, and it's a short documentary about seven and a half ish minutes long, and it is about a group of young boys and their 25-year-old dungeon master who uh, invite a group of young girls into their game. All of the boys who are the players, they're age 9 to 11. These boys have never played D&D with girls. These girls have never played D&D at all. And it's kind of about the experience of what they think is going to happen, and then they all get together and they play a game, and it it seems to be actually a, a pretty fun experience for everybody involved. The boys say that... They, they thought the girls were a lot cooler about Dungeons & Dragons than they thought they would be. Uh, it's an interesting little social experiment, I think. Um, and, and I do think for the girls as well, they did not know a lot about Dungeons & Dragons going into this. And, you know, they seemed enthusiastic and all sort of said that they would be interested in playing again. Um, you know, so it was a, a neat little documentary to see. What did you guys think of this short film? Tracy, let's start with you. Uh, I think it reminded me of when I was a kid. And <laughs> uh, I happened to uh, have a lot of quote unquote boy uh, hobbies when I was a, a kid. So anytime I met a new boy who didn't grow up near me, it was always like this no, I actually do like to play football. And yeah, I can actually throw a football and it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I do think the assumptions that the boys have about the girls going in, you know, they're they're wild about like, oh, well, this is not really a game for girls. You know, <laughs> they're going to pass out at the description of gore. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, what did you think about this short? So the first thing, honestly, the first thing I thought when I watched it was I love how high the production values are mm. because this is something that I would feel comfortable, you know, showing to not only only 
kids that maybe have never played D&D, but like I showed it to a g- bunch of my classmates, like, see, even kids like D&D, come on, let's play D&D. So <laughs> uh, it, it's something that I think might be uh, just because it, it's so professional looking might draw in a few more D&D skeptics or parents um, that, you know, if if I, I have a kid that's interested in D&D and I see this documentary, I think it would make me feel more at ease. It's hard to think in that way of course because i'm like duh i'd want my kid to play dnd yeah. uh, but trying to put that hat on i mean it, it makes it look so fun which it is and it also uh, it shows that girls can enjoy and enjoy the game just as much as boys can i really enjoyed um how all of the boys acted differently though it seemed like their dm had a really good understanding of how the boys would act with girls around <laughs> basically either they're going to be less inappropriate or more inappropriate than they are now <laughs> and it, it sounded like they acted less inappropriate a little bit yes yeah they they <laughs> definitely it acted less uh inappropriate they they did see more tone down than they do when they're just playing by themselves and i i like that idea i had not thought before about how it's something good to show to parents like look this is just like any other game that you might play mm-hmm. around the table sam what did you think of the short uh, I thought it was really well done. Um, I, I echo Liz's comments about the um, like the production values and whatnot, but they also did some very kind of subtle things that were uh, pretty interesting. I, I watched it about five. So it came out like several months ago, like three or four months ago, uh-huh. and I, I saw it back then, uh, and I watched it once, and I thought, oh, that was cute. You know, I wonder if they're going to make it into a larger, longer production or whatever. Uh, and then when you invited me on this, I watched it again, and I ended up watching it like three or four times in a row. And, uh, and I noticed they have all the boys, when they're interviewing them, wearing blue shirts. And they have all the girls when they're interviewing them. They're either wearing like something white and flowery or like it has pink on it, obviously. Oh, and it's very interesting how they did that. Like if, if you go back and you look like – because I noticed like a, a couple of the, of the boys are wearing like they've got layers on because I think they wore whatever T-shirt and they had them put on something blue. Huh. Um, and even, even the GM, the DM guy is like wearing like a sort of light blue button up shirt and he's, you know, he's you know, like, he looks like it's maybe not comfortable. He just probably wants to be wearing a t-shirt or something. Um, but I, I th- like they did some subtle things like that where they, and you know, some, the way they asked the questions, I think was to get the maximum sort of give the maximum amount of leeway for the, for the kids answer, you know, that like they really were just asking these kids questions and then, and, the kids were answering and uh, on the on the the producer's channel on Vimeo I guess I guess it's the producer or whatever um they have a little blooper reel it's like a minute and a half and they it's it's really cute to watch as well so if you go watch the actual video watch the blooper reel uh, also um but I thought the video was very well done it was it was very very interesting um and I love the I I started I was like oh I'm gonna write down my favorite quote that's my favorite quote I'm gonna write down and then <laughs> the second time I watched I was like oh there's another good one you know and I ended up writing like six quotes <laughs> from, from the ki- from the kids you know what the kids said so it's really great I really enjoy it. it's only seven minutes you know it's a, it's a little slice of of think about this just slightly differently and it and it's very well done my my number one top favorite quote is one of the ones when they're right at the end when they're doing the credits and the kid says, uh, I think they asked him, you know, well, how did you 
what did you think about the girls or what would would you play with the girls again? And he said, oh, do you want to come play Dungeons and Dragons again? You were really good. And I think we need you. <laughs> <laughs> like for me, that summed up like, oh, that's perfect. Like if that's his takeaway, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people should definitely go watch it instead of watching Gangnam Style for the 700th time. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with that, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it is, it's definitely really interesting. And it also, for me, it brought up some stuff. I was about 13, a little bit older. Uh, the first time I actually played D and D with someone who was not of my own gender and and uh i remember being like a little like oh no this is we're inviting a a woman into this world what's it gonna and it was fine it was totally fine she was into it and then in high school i was actually uh i dm'd a group that was more women than it was men uh and that was also you know that was a lot of of fun as well it's uh, the most fun i think i may have had playing D D. um so you know i i do think that these sort of feelings you're seeing from kids and everything are are pretty typical but what do you guys think do you think tracy we already heard from you a little bit you think this is probably pretty typical of boys and girls who are this age who are playing D D? I don't know. I mean, because the thing is, like, I grew up in a town that had was a little was a lot more conservative, and so that explained a lot of the things. But I feel like a lot a lot of times today, parents uh, overall are trying to error, and uh, teachers and stuff are trying to get mixed groups together. So I, I don't know how typical it is. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, th- this is a changing world, which is probably why we get a documentary uh, a little bit like this, you know? Uh, Sam, what do you think? Do you think this is sort of typical of kids these days? I mean, I don't know. That's hard to say. I don't spend a lot of time around kids that age, in, in within that age group um, lately. But, you know, certainly when I was, you know, when I started playing, I was, you know, 10 or 10 years old or nine nine turning into 10 or something. And and that's pretty much how it was. I mean, we it, it was all. I have an older brother, so he was the the DM, and we had some neighborhood friends who came around, um, and and we played a lot, and we basically acted like the idiot boys in the, <laughs> in the video. <laughs> um, you know, it, the one part where the kid says, "Oh, well, usually when we're all together, it's like ah," and that's you know that that's kind of how we were too, because we were all you know ten and eleven years old. And we certainly didn't play an adult D&D game, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played a kid game. And I think that's what it's kind of showing. Um, they're right on the cusp of of going from playing kind of the kid version of D&D where they're loud and telling jokes and making fart noises. And, 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 and you know, in just a couple of years, they're going to be, you know, maybe exploring some a little more, um, you know, uh, maybe ethically challenging storylines and things like that, because that's, you know, they're going to start seeing things in the world a little bit differently than they do right now. But in terms of, is it typical? Yeah, it probably is typical. I I think it's a good snapshot. I mean, I I didn't see anything where I thought, oh, well, that's obviously a total setup. That's not how kids really act. Like it seemed like it was real. Yeah, it it definitely did feel very genuine. Liz, do you think this is typical of kids? And do you think that there are some adults who are still a little bit like this? You know, today you had mentioned on Twitter something about a a meetup game. And I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. So I honestly never really uh, encountered this as a kid. And that's just because um, my parents played with me or it was my parents friends and their kids so um, they both had a they had a son and a daughter so I I always thought 
that, um, you know, it was normal for girls and boys to play together. And I didn't really encounter other peers that played D&D until I was in high school. Um, and that was sort of my first encounter with being sort of self-conscious that I was a girl. Because, you know, I, I had my boyfriend at the time and he and his friends played D&D. And I wasn't sure if, it w- if they'd be like, you know, think I was weird for like being all into this role-playing game. Um, but it turned out they thought I was all super cool because I had been playing since Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which was like <laughs> epic to them. Um, but, you know, it's, it still shocks me how even as an adult, people or you know, people are sort of wary about playing with people of the opposite gender. gender. And yes, I, I was sort of ranting on Twitter today because um, there was a meetup group for a D&D 5th edition game. I, I'm, a, I'm looking for a gaming group because I don't have one in, in the Bay Area yet. And um, I noticed there was this group that was looking for players and um, they said, you know, express your interest in the comments. And I was the second person to comment. There were three open spaces. Um, second person to comment. There were a couple of guys that commented after me. Um, and the GM responded to all of the men and not to me, um, saying he'd mm-hmm. reach out with more information. And it, it kind of shocked me um, that, you know, in public, this is not private messaging. This is public comments. He specifically um, avoided talking to the girl about joining the group. Um, and it's just, it's, it blew my mind that that was still an issue. Um, that, I mean, who knows, maybe he'll respond in a day or two, but that, that rubbed me the wrong way. And I, my immediate thought was, okay, well, I don't want to play with a group of guys that is, um, run by a GM that doesn't want to have a girl at the table. I hope he's listening to this. Man, if you're listening, <laughs> shame on you. What a jerk move. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Come on. It was it was upsetting, but um, I mean, you know, it, I think it, it all boils down to would I want to play with that group and probably not if this is how um, how they sure. approach approach gaming. But yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of funny that I never really in, in, um, experienced any of the sort of gender differences as a kid. And I'm only starting to experience it now as I'm looking for a gaming group and in, in, in a, um, an area that I moved to. Tracy, do you feel like when you started playing D&D uh, or other tabletop role-playing games, did you start with groups that were all girls or were you a girl amongst many boys? You know, how normally did that, did that play out for you? And could you tell that there was some sort of difference or were you just accepted into the group? Uh, so I actually had joined, my husband had played for a few years before. Mm-hmm. So I joined his group, but I only did it after I felt like we were all comfortable and I could say whatever types of jokes I wanted <laughs> and it was all okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That that makes a lot of sense. And was his group mostly male dominated? Yeah, I was the only uh, woman for a while. And then eventually I got one of my... Uh, female co-workers to come play for a while. Sam, uh, in your 30 years of experience, (laughs) uh, when did you first find yourself uh, sitting with someone of a different gender at the table? And what was that experience Um, like versus, say, now? It was pretty early on. um, And it was just, I mean, I, we, it was just our group. That was just, we just had both genders in our group. It wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, And, you know, and I, I mean, c- because I had an older brother, it was kind of like my parents never sort of looked askew at it either because they had already, they already knew him and his friends and, 
you know, we're both very similar in that we're both kind of nerdy and geeky and, you know, we're spending time at the library and, and reading books. And this the game is like a perfect game for our kind of demeanor, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so we weren't running through the house screaming and making noise and, you know, watching movies and try to sneak views of Cinemax and, you know, all that <laughs> kind of stuff that, that, you know, and we also weren't doing drugs and, you know, going out, yep. staying out late and not <laughs> calling and, you know, so, I mean, we, it was just, that's just how it was. And they trusted us. And I mean, I'm, you know, we had earned that trust. And so, you know, it didn't, as long as the parents of all of the kids were okay, like my parents were fine having, there's always somebody home, you know, my grandma lived with us for a long time when I was younger. So there was always an adult there, but you know, she wasn't bugging us and, you know, we got cookies and milk and soda and <laughs> it was, it was great. <laughs> and I think everybody appreciated it. Um, it wasn't, you know, it was very, it was very different though than it is now. What's really funny is, um, when I uh, when I moved over to the East Coast, I was uh, I I came to uh, I got accepted to a PhD program, and at the university uh, there's a gaming group and a gaming club, and you can meet up with all kinds of different people and play all kinds of board games and RPGs and everything else. Um, and the only RPGers were male. There were no females. There were no women in the entire you know in the whole in the whole RPG section of the group. And so for like three or four years, I didn't have the ability to have, you know, and I, I would send out, you know, because it had a listserv and you could send out messages and say, Oh, you know, we're looking for people, whatever you, and n I never got a response from any women. Um, and then I moved, uh, I, I finished that and then I got a job and I moved and I, and I stayed in New York, but I moved a few hours away and I put a message on meetup and I got all kinds of responses and that group got sort of mishmashed together and it, and it had two women in it from the very beginning. Ah. And they were probably, and that what's funny is they were the only two people with experience other than myself. All the other three guys <laughs> were all new. And so they're like, wow, they're really good, you know? And, and so it was kind of, you know, it, the good part about it is one of the guys is, is the father, his son, who was 16 at the time and who's now almost 18, had said, you know, he wanted to play, he wanted to get into D&D. &D. And so he said, oh, well, that can be an activity we do together because they, you know, they've got a family stuff and all that kind of thing. And, and so uh, they said, okay, well, let's put this thing on Meetup. And that's how I met them. And so it kind of introduced this kid and his father to a group that it was mixed gender and mixed age and mixed amount of experience. It was like the perfect storm of <laughs> can you can you throw in as many differences, you know, as possible. It's also mixed race and, you know, it's a mixed sort of socioeconomic status. It's like everything is just right there and it's like perfect. So what you're saying is Wizards of the Coast needs to come take some pictures of you guys for all of their marketing. And publicity. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be cool. That would be totally cool if they did that. Sure, absolutely. There's one, there's a quote in, towards the the end of the of the short film where the the guy who's the dm i can't remember his name but he basically says that one of the interesting things is he thinks that boys are taught that there are some things that that boys like and there's things that girls like and that it's okay to like the things that boys like and it's okay to have things that only boys do but meanwhile society is ever has this ever increasing movement of teaching girls they can do anything they want mm -hmm. and there's attention there like he doesn't really elaborate on it any more than that but you know there's a tension there between you know if we're 
bringing up boys and teaching boys, okay, well, here's the boy stuff and here's the girl stuff and you have to like boy stuff. And then we're teaching girls, well, here's boy stuff and here's girl stuff. But you know, that's all BS. You can like whatever you want. There's going to be a lot of tension there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're not well, doing any of those kids any favors. Well, and even his like, the way he's talking about like, well, there's some things that boys like to do. So I'm not really sure mm-hmm. the girls are going to enjoy this. Struck me as kind of strange right. given that I, I think he's at least friends with the older woman that's talking to that, that helped organize the girls. And she obviously doesn't have that same opinion. <laughs> yeah. So I sometimes wonder how those conversations go. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I uh, noticed that disconnect too. It was, it was yeah. very strange. <laughs> but what's really funny though, is I think that because it, it's, it was a really like they're just recording people saying things like it's not really scripted. There's very few parts of that short that are scripted. So I think he was just giving his honest, like, okay, here's how it, in my mind, here's what I think about it. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that sort of, it's, different kind of conversation than him saying oh only boys can like this because and that's what i believe and that's the rule like that's that sort of wasn't how he was presenting it. he was just saying well oh, i yeah. think that you no know, it's just you know and so i think it sort of was an open door more than a closed door if you know what i mean so yeah i think the conversations must have been really interesting what all the outtakes i want to see all the outtakes of the <laughs> of the show <laughs> there's one thing that um i would love if they ever go into and that's how that solo game went so they had it well, it's not so much a solo game. They had a girls-only game just mm-hmm. to help them get introduced to the mechanics and make sure they felt comfortable and all that. And I'd love to know more about that because that's one of the things I, I try to say sometimes is like that it's okay to have a girls-only game if that's what's going to make the girls feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, and I wonder too, like, were they more reserved in front of the boys? And did they get silly and wild and wacky the same way the boys did when they were all, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. was was there something equal there uh, that, that that they're both more reserved when they're together? So, so yeah, so maybe we'll get a, a like a D and D and G too. Let's move on to our second topic, guys. And I saw something going around Facebook and social media last week, which I definitely thought was an old Dungeons and Dragons ad. It was posted in the D&D Next Facebook group and, you know, people were having a good time. It's this picture uh, sort of with a, it's definitely (laughs) looks like it's from the early 80s, you know, (laughs) with a a guy and two girls and they have a table set out with minis and, you know, a cool battle map and everything. And it says, are you bored with bingo? Sick of sorry? Peeved by Parcheesi? Then maybe you're ready for the fantastic fun of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, So I assumed it was this old ad and uh, that was sort of where I left it. But then when we were getting ready to do this podcast, Tracy brought up that she had actually done an in-depth investigation into this and that it was not an ad at all. Tracy, do you want to talk a little bit about what you found out? Sure. Uh, So what I found out, one, is that uh, instead of being an ad, it was an article from uh, U.S., I think it's just U.S., uh, Dynamite Magazine that was aimed at kids. It was done by Scholastic Inc. It's I think it was published in March 1981. Uh, And yeah, it was like a three-page article about Dungeons and Dragons for kids. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's it's pretty cool. You can actually read a lot about Tracy's uh, in-depth investigation on her blog, sarahdarkmagic.com, and we'll also link it up in the show notes, this specific article, so people can can find it out. Um, but yeah, you found out some, some really cool stuff here. Uh, some of it's fun, like hearing how they describe the game kind of in those early days <laughs> hey roll funny dice uh yeah um so like they're describing the the game the woman who wrote the article i think has an understanding of her uh reader base because she talks about i think it's it's one of the monsters maybe it's the green slime or something and she's like yuck like it's just <laughs> gross she's going for the gross factor <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I was very happy to see like, oh, wow, this actually, uh, when you pulled at this thread, some really cool stuff actually unraveled here. So it turns <laughs> out that this article, at least three people who have gone on to work either for like Wizards of the Coast or in game design in some way, uh, cite it specifically as their introduction that D&D even existed, so, uh, including uh, Ryan Dancy. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. And uh, yes, okay. And then uh, Frank Brunner and I think it's Jeffrey. Mc- I think yeah. he's just uh, McKinney. Jeffrey McKinney. McKinney, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and uh, so yeah. So they all cite it, and I, I've copied that on into my blog post too. And the boy playing, he he had a regular group. He's a nephew of the photographer, and the the two girls. One is his girlfriend, and the other is her friend, and he's teaching them how to play. <laughs> uh, yeah i you know the, one of the things i thought was really cool about this was that it was in dynamite magazine and it's something that maybe at the time you would have found right in a, in a school um that kids would be reading it like you might uh you know like a scholastic journal was sort of what i was reading when i was in school um you know and i don't know that you would necessarily see something like this for D today uh which is which is what i thought was so cool about this article you know and obviously that it all stemmed from this p- picture that everybody was kind of you know poking fun at because it is old and from the 80s um you know and and big hair and and has everything you would expect to see uh but i really i really liked this investigation uh so thank you very much for doing this yeah yeah liz what did you think about all this well i first of all i loved all of the research that you did um i just thought it was so cool how this this fun little picture where my first thought was oh my god the hair um turned into <laughs> to this really really cool story and i love that um you were able to tie it to all of those industry um names because i mean these are these are people that have made such a huge impact in the industry and who knows what would have happened and if they had found if they had uh, found D without this article it's i mean honestly it's players are are young players specifically um are are a big market for for D&D and other role playing games and I'd love to see additional advertising like this out there um whether it's in an actual physical magazine or or other avenues that that younger people are on uh, like social media or or stuff like that but I I mean I don't think we see that often anymore 
Yeah, yeah, we definitely, especially like reaching out to like very young kids. It sort of reminds me there was a picture going around again on social media this week of the starter set was actually on sale on the shelves of a Toys R Us. Um, That's so cool. (laughs) You know, and and it's cool to see that kind of thing, role-playing games, getting that kind of exposure at these larger stores. Um, Sam, what did you think of this sort of article? Yeah, it's it's really good. You know, I bought my first uh I bought one of my first D&D box sets at a KB Toys. You know, <laughs> KB Toys like everybody went to KB Toys if if they if that if that existed where they were from, you know. Like everybody went there. That, that was a huge toy store. It was yeah. like the Toys R Us little cousin, you know. Um <laughs> I thought this article was great, but you know what's really interesting? Let me tell you how it affects every single one of us right now from from 2000 on. Ryan Dancy is one of the architects of the open gaming license. So he was the one who, who pushed wizards of the coast to produce the OGL so that everyone else could get in on the fun and, and design content and write things and not be slapped with a a cease and desist every time they tried to produce content for the game. So uh, if you can imagine a world pre 2000, when there was, there was no OGL, if you weren't alive at that point, or if you can imagine it being like that now, like that it's, it was a much, much, much different world, not just with electronics and all that stuff, but in the gaming world, it was much different too. So, you know, he opened up a whole new sort of revolution for, for gamers. Uh, so yeah. if, if this article had not been printed, it's possible that, uh, you know, he wouldn't have done that. So that's a, but, it's an amazing thing. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting that you bring up the cease and desist type stuff because for a long time, that was the way things were. Mm-hmm. So much so that when I started my own blog, the guys in my group were very concerned that I would also get a cease and desist because you just weren't allowed to write about D&D. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. And Tracy, I have to say, the fact that you managed to do this this very deep dive and then you even you know, managed to reach out to the photographer who took the picture and everything uh, uh, is awesome. And I also love that, again, you know, to to bring up the issue of uh, gender, that the article, you know, the picture is two women and one man. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so you get the impression that like, hey, girls love playing Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, it's totally fine for anybody to play. And on top of it, it was a woman who wrote the actual article. So, so yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a corollary to this too. I don't know if you guys saw the picture floating around a few weeks ago of the old uh, Lego ad from 1982 or something. And it has a little girl building some awesome thing with a bunch of colored Legos. And, um, it, it made the point that, you know, this is what Lego ads used to look like. It would have a girl building something or it would have a boy building something. It would have a girl and a boy together building something. And now, you know, when you look at ads for games, they're very gendered. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, we, we sort of often talk about gender stereotypes and misogyny and uh, different behaviors like that as something that's from the past and it just sort of carries in. But, you know, there are some things where there were companies that were producing sort of gender neutral types of ads previously that have instead of evolving even more gender neutrally they've evolved to actually separate their product lines feeling that there's somehow it's better business for them to split so it's kind of a weird 
thing. But this this picture in this article reminds me of that because it's kind of like no one looked at this and said, oh, uh, we can't have that picture on the cover because obviously girls don't play D&D. I agree. You know, it's it's great to see that it's this and it wasn't a big deal, you know, and that we have this article that's written by a woman again. And Tracy, I think you even mentioned it's at a time when uh, D&D was relatively controversial, right? You know, parents yeah. were, were looking upon it as something that was a little dangerous. And here it is, an article about how it's great to play showing up in schools, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was a great um, match too because like it was more for schools and like trying to get kids to use their imagination and creative pro- uh, problem solving there's even one part where she like talks about all the different types of monsters there are but she also says fortunately there are as many ways to defeat them as there are monsters <laughs> and <laughs> and uh just stuff like that which i thought was great yeah I'd- you know this is this is something that we talk about e- even today at the college level you know my college we we are often having conversations about well how do we get the kids, the students who by this time are adults because they're freshmen in college, how do we get them to use critical thinking? How do we teach them how to think critically and use critical thinking as a tool to evaluate something? Like we don't, we have a hard time even talking about it and using words that describe that. But you know what? Let's get them to play D and D. You know, if they learn about monsters and they get faced with these sort of these these uh, situations where they have to use their imagination and use critical thinking skills to work their way through it and get out alive. I mean, that's what it did for me when I was younger, and and I'm sure that it doesn't matter what my gender is that that's what it did for me. You know what I mean? So why can't that work for for anyone? Yeah, I, I actually wrote a, an article for Pathways on um, the benefits of role playing as a child, and um, mm-hmm. it's been fun uh, in in my role at, at Lone Wolf to be able to create a, a school program. So that we're, we we've had a number of uh, school gaming group advisors reach out to us. Um, to get our products. And so I, d- I developed a, a program to provide that all for free um, as a way to oh, cool. to encourage uh, role-playing a- at the school level. And th- that the article reminded me of that a little bit, hearing that the, the, the article was for school-aged children. You know, I, I'd love to see more D&D or, or just general role-playing uh, gaming groups that are sponsored by by schools and available to middle schoolers and junior high schoolers. There wasn't anything like that. I didn't see a gaming group until I went to college, but it would be fantastic if they had that for, for younger children as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great to see that. I definitely did not have a, a gaming, you know, club or anything like that in school. So there was an article that came out on the 30th of September, a very short article on the Watsi D&D site. Um, and they basically said that, hey, Rise of Tiamat is being pushed back. And they say that the the test print run didn't match quality expectations. And they're addressing the issues, but it's caused a delay and they're going to, um, you know, push back. They've already pushed back the release date of the DMG. Um, and so it's interesting to see Watsi is saying, we are going to take our time. We are going to get everything right. That's sort of been their mantra since they started the playtest for D&D Next. And it seems to continue on into products. Um, you know, I, for my part, uh, I think this is actually kind of a good thing. I'd much rather 
wait a week and have something that's well made uh, as opposed to not well made. Uh, but I'm wondering, this is the second time we're seeing this. So do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, Liz, let's start with you. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's become because I come from like the software industry where delays for quality are sort of common and <laughs> what we do. Um, but I, I, I read it and I was just not concerned at all. Um, I, I mean, it's honestly a, a little, it's, it's something I expected because this, this approach with, uh, contracting a lot of their work out is, is new to wizards of the coast. And it's, it's a new business model that I, I'm sure has growing pains because they have all of these new, uh, players in, involved because they're working with third party publishers and their contractors, whether that's artists or, or writers. So I just think it's, it's new and, and growing pains and, the delay is not actually that long. No. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of saw it and went, eh, that, I mean, that makes sense. Let's move on. Um, and that was my initial response. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good one to have, right? I don't think this is anything uh, to panic over. But oh gosh, no. are we correct? Tracy Hurley, what do you think? <laughs> I, I'm pretty much the same way. I'm just like, as long as it comes out well, I I don't care that much. <laughs> I guess the only thing I could see, I don't even know when the next season's supposed to start or like when you're supposed to start playing that one. So mm-hmm. that would be the only thing, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Give it's me a true. Good book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd much rather wait a week, have a good book. There's plenty of material, certainly, in Horde of the Dragon Queen that if encounters want to keep playing, you know, if groups that are part of the organized play system want to keep playing, they can, right? Um, so, you know, so I, I think it's not too bad a thing. Sam Dillon, do you agree? I, I, I saw your email and I thought, what, they pushed that back? Cause I haven't been on, been really busy. So I haven't been online. I went and I read the article real fast and I was like, what, two weeks? Like, that's what you, <laughs> like, that's, that's not even like worth me reading the paragraph. You know? Um, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that they posted. I understand why they did it. You know, I think they're, they're trying really, really hard with this addition to, uh, to keep the the fans in the know, and when they've stated a, a a release date and they have to change that, that's a that that um well how do I put this? It previously with previous recent editions, something like that has not been seen or reacted to with kindness and reasonableness. <laughs> and so what? I I I know I know shocking as it may seem. Uh, and so I think, I think they're, they're trying to, uh, sort of quell that, that kind of upswell of anger. <laughs> yeah. Look, this pushback, uh, it's clearly that I know. they're just, they're, the company is not going anywhere and yeah. the game is just yeah. I know. bombing. I know. And- <laughs> I know. Obviously the whole thing sucked. They're going to do a whole rewrite. It's going to, you know, take two weeks longer and you know, it's, it's going to be a completely different product than what we were going to get two weeks before. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I That's mean, but you know, I, I appreciate that they wrote it. I appreciate they're keeping everybody kind of in the loop and, and, and that's yeah. great and all that. Um, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. I think I think it's what it's good that they're saying it's for print quality issues and not for you know something was wrong with the product. Um, right. You know, and that they are actually then looking at the proofs that they get from the printer and coming back and saying, well, yes or no. You know that that's a good thing. You know, I think people should be seeing this as a good thing. I don't think it's a problem at all. All right, guys. Well, I think that is going to do it for this week's roundtable. But before we go, where can people find you, Sam Dillon? 
uh, people can find me at rpgmusings.com. They can also find me on several of the recent Tome Show releases because we are review- I'm part of the team that's reviewing all of the sort of initial 5e core books and adventure releases. So that's been a lot of fun, and James and Tracy are both doing that as well. So uh, Liz, why don't you join us the next time we do a review? I would love that. I, uh, I'm, I'm inviting you. As editor, I'm inviting you to the team. <laughs> yeah, hey, welcome to Team Flump. Uh, no, it's Team Beholder. <laughs> awesome. And Tracy Hurley, where can people find you? Oh, besides the Tome Show, uh, you can also find me at sarahdarkmagic.com. Nice, nice. And Liz Tice, where can people find you? Well, conveniently, you can find me on Twitter at at Liz Tice, um, spelled the is, it's, uh, not pronounced how it's spelled. Um, and that's, I mean, I don't have a blog or anything fancy like that, but you can also of course talk to me, um, on all of my company's social media, but me directly, I'm at Liz Tice on Twitter. That's right. And if you check out the Realm Works video, I believe Liz narrates it. <laughs> yes, great. I do. Yeah. I've had people stop me at conventions. It's a little strange sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. If you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J A M E S. I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. Or you can reach out to Sam, Tracy, or Liz in any of the ways they have expressed you may reach out to them. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the 5th edition campaign setting that I'm building. It's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Sam, Tracy, and Liz. Also, many thanks to that guy, Jeff Griner, for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable. Roundtable.